When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Leaders on Leadership podcast, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and we speak with leaders of all ages and all stages about what it takes to truly pay the price of leadership. And today, I am incredibly excited to bring to you a veteran, a retired general, and just an amazing leadership expert, Major General John Gronsky. John, welcome. Tracy, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me to be part of your show. I'm so excited. Let me tell you a little bit about Major General Gronsky. He is retired from the U.S. Army. Sir, thank you for your service. And he's the CEO of Leader Grove LLC, which is a leadership consulting firm. He's also the author of two books, The Ride of Our Lives, which we're going to talk more about that, and Iron Sharpened Leadership, as well as an international speaker. And I connected with the tremendous John Gronsky through the tremendous Bill Forrester. So like my father said, it's all about the people you meet and the books you read. And why I love our tremendous tribe is that we're all together. So now you've met John, you can meet with him. A lot of you know Bill. And without further ado, John, we're going to go ahead and get started on my father's speech that he gave many decades ago called The Price of Leadership. And it was tough. It was jubilant, but it was also really tough. And in it, he talks about four key tenants that every leader is going to have to be committed to paying to truly be a leader. And that first price that he talks about is loneliness. And we've all heard that. Lonely is the head that wears the crown. It's lonely at the top. But John, can you explain? I'm so excited to hear from a general about this topic. What loneliness meant to you throughout your life? Maybe a time when you were in a season of it. And what words of wisdom you would give our listeners if they are in a season of loneliness? You know, it's really interesting, that whole concept of loneliness when it comes to leadership. And to a degree, I think it's absolutely correct. I just recall back my times in periods of senior leadership, commanding a brigade in combat in Ramadi, Iraq, commanding the 28th Infantry Division, which was 15,000 soldiers. And I found that you still have to build a team of trusted advisors around you. So it may not even be somebody from your organization, but you've got to reach out and find peer groups because it's really important to be able to bounce ideas across people. For example, with me, when I was a division commander, there were other division commanders. There's 18 army divisions between active component and National Guard. So again, just reaching out to that group of peers and being able to just have professional dialogue with them and let them know the challenges I was facing, listen to a little bit about the challenges they were facing, and being able to help each other work through various issues. So for leaders out there who are in a position where they figure, hey, there's not really anybody in my organization I could talk to because it doesn't seem safe or doesn't seem appropriate, you've got to find people outside of your organization if, if, if you need to. So that would be my thought on it. 
Well, and we, those of us that have been in the military, camaraderie, we still can call each other and think about the times we had together and shared with one another. And we still go back to that. So when did you retire, John? When did you depart the military? Yeah, I retired from the Army in 2019. Okay. The last three years of my career, I was one of the deputy commanding generals over at U.S. Army Europe. It's funny because I think I was the oldest soldier within U.S. Army Europe. I was 63 years old when I retired. I got my commission in 78, stayed with it for just over 40 years, retiring in 2019. That's the other thing I want to mention about loneliness. When I was division commander, brigade commander before that, then deputy commanding general over at U.S. Army Europe, always had a team around me. Always had people that we could, you know, talk issues with. And then, you know, I retire in 2019, (laughs) no more team. And I had to figure out, okay, what am I going to do here? And I started to put together my own team of trusted advisors, just from people that I networked with in in the Philadelphia area and other parts of Pennsylvania and beyond. And I really think it's important that if you step away from a formal leadership position, you've still got to find your quasi board of directors. So you could just gain insight from them bounce ideas off them. And and I think that's just so important. Well, that's why I'm so glad you said that. And that's kind of why I asked that, because we do have built in structure, rank, command. I mean, you you worry about fraternization, but you keep it the line of demarcation and keep it very professional. When I came out too, I separated 23 years ago. But then when I left corporate America 14, 15 years ago, then again, when you become a solopreneur and entrepreneur, that's very lonely too. So then you have to seek out and find those people that you can just be a sounding board and share things with because you typically, as a family-run business, you can't do it to family. And so I think that's so important that you really realize that. And to the listeners out there, you've got to have those people that you can just share with. I know we have our faith. Yes, prayer trumps all, but we still are meant to be, to edify and to exhort and to really iron sharpen leadership, iron sharpen each other too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing I found when I left the military, spending 40 years in the military, I had a purpose. And then after retiring, I was floundering a little bit. And I think it's really important that no matter what phase you're in or what stage of your life you're in, you've got to determine what your purpose is. And I do think purpose changes based on the stage and phase that you're in. And, And that's exactly what I did in order to get back on a successful path again and a productive path, I really had to figure out what my purpose was in life. What I came up with is my purpose is to help leaders who want to improve become better leaders. That That's my stated purpose. That's what I believe in. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what keeps me you know, working out at the gym. That's what keeps me doing some self-study and, and trying to continue to learn and grow. It's that purpose that helps me do all of those things. So again, for your listeners out there, You've really got to come to grips of what is your purpose based on your current stage of life. And I love the fact that you brought that up to our listeners because that will ring true. I even had people that I knew in the military that did 20 and that was it. And you do what you want to do because they were, quote, retired at you know early 40s. And I'm thinking, OK, if that works for you. But for listeners of this podcast, we are, want to finish the race strong. And I want to hear and vision how you dialed that in because you would have been perfectly justified. And I know a lot of people that, hey, they've done their time, they've acquired their wealth, and now they're just going to enjoy life. Nothing wrong with that. 
But I think most of our listeners like you, without a purpose, you just kind of feel adrift. So I really appreciate out there. I think a lot of people are like, well, I want to work myself out of a job. All right. But then you got to find another one because otherwise it's just, what do you do with your time? You know, kind of thing. Okay. So thank you, John, for that. I'm sorry. Were you going to say something else? Well, I was just going to say, you know, it may not even be a quote job. It might be some type of volunteer effort that you put your time into, but you've got to do something to serve others, whether it's, whether it's paid or volunteer, you've got to look at serving others and, and just finding fulfillment in that. Love it. Well, thank you for that. So loneliness. Now, the next topic my father talked about is weariness. And if you are out there leading people, being there for people, you have got to be the strongest, the most refreshed, the most clear thinker, the most best critical thinker, the best decision maker. And also as a leader, you really have to be there to meet each of your followers where they are. And that can really wear you down and make you tired. How do you combat weariness, John? Yeah, I love this particular topic because I think back on the time back in 2005 when I was taking a brigade of 5,000 soldiers and Marines into Ramadi, Iraq, which was very, really a very violent, dangerous place at that time, very chaotic. And some mentors told me before going over there that even when you're in combat, there are certain things you've got to do. You've got to take time to do some physical training. You've got, they recommended getting a fictional novel and reading a fictional novel just to kind of take your your mind off the tactics and and techniques and procedures that you are generally faced with on a day-to-day basis in a situation like that. You've got to make sure that your diet is proper. You've got to maintain the proper diet. And I kind of believed in all of those things that these mentors were telling me. And then I get there in Ramadi. And I didn't do any of that. And it was a big mistake. I look back on that as a mistake I made. I ended up not taking any time off at all. I might have, on an average, taken maybe four hours off a week somehow. I didn't read anything except the operational things that I needed to read in accordance with the with the mission that we had. I didn't read any fictional books. And I'm a guy who likes to work out. I'm a guy who likes to engage in, in physical training. I basically cut that out of my regiment for the entire year I was there. Wow. And I did a lot of battlefield circulation. I mean, I was on the go a lot. It came down to where I was eating one meal a day. So all of this advice I got from mentors, I really disregarded it. And I'll tell you, at the end of that year, and by the way, you know, all of our soldiers had an opportunity to go back home at some point in time for two weeks. I, I decided I wasn't going to do that. And it really wore me down. And as I look back on that, perhaps I didn't make the best decisions all the time that I maybe could have made if I followed the advice of these mentors. So what it really taught me at the end of the day, and, and by the way, most of the things I learn are from mistakes I made. I made rather than successes I've had. I really learned the importance of a leader needing to take care of themselves. You know, I talk a lot about leaders having to care more for their followers than they care for themselves. And I truly believe that. But at the same time, a leader still needs to care for themselves. Because if you don't care for yourself as a leader, it's pretty hard to be able to provide the leadership, the vision, 
the guidance that your followers need from you. So uh, learn that lesson. And I like to pass that on to people whenever I have the opportunity. Well, I really appreciate that you hit on the physical aspect because when we get busy and I'll do the same thing, I'm eating well, I'm really focused, my days are disciplined. But if I skip going and like lifting, well, I've got dogs now. So I'm walking three miles a day. I'm running two miles. But if I don't make that time just moving around, I'll start. I'm like, I'm cranky. I'm not sleeping well. And then I'm like, because you're not working out. So go and work out. And even though I don't have to do it to maintain anything external, I have to do it for the internal stuff. So I really appreciate you saying that because that's the first thing I'm like, well, I'm busy because this book comes out in October. This book comes out in January, this book. And so that's the first thing that gets pushed off. So I really appreciate that for where you think, oh, I can't work out. I'm tired. Oh, no. You might be tired because you're not working out. When I talk about Fitness, of course, just like you, I'm talking about physical fitness, and I know you feel the same way. There's other elements of fitness. There's spiritual fitness. There's mental fitness. There's emotional fitness. You've got to take care of yourself in all those different ways. And that's why my mentors recommended, hey, get a fictional book and read a fictional book time. And by the way, speaking of building resiliency in yourself, I think one of the best ways to build up resiliency is by reading fiction because it allows you to allows your mind to be creative, to be imaginative, to imagine things through reading rather than through watching. And all of those elements of fitness are very, very important. Well, it's interesting you said that too, because when I was deployed for the first Gulf War back 1991, I read more fiction books during that nine-month deployment than I have in my entire life. And I'm glad you said that because I don't touch fiction unless it's like allegorical fiction like C.S. Lewis or Pilgrim's Progress, but I need, which is also beautiful, but I need to grab grab me some fiction just to let my mind off of the, what am I learning? What am I applying? But I can remember during the Gulf War, we would just get novel and I read like everything Leon Uris wrote and it just was just these great novels. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. The purpose of fiction. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Okay. So loneliness, weariness. The next topic my father talked about was abandonment. And I, as a little girl, watched him and thought he was the most successful person, still do, I have ever met. And I remember one day he told me, Tracy, I do more in a day to contribute to my failure than my success. And I was like, I don't even understand how that computes. And he said, because I need to focus on abandonment. I need to stop doing what I want and like to do in favor of what I ought and need to do. So it was almost this hyper pruning and singular focus. So John, I know in the military, we get our orders, but still there's other things as a leader that come and occupy your space and time. How do you deal with abandonment and how do you maintain your focus and discipline? Yeah, I think self-discipline is extremely important. When you engage in self-discipline by doing the things you know you need to do in order to serve others and be fulfilled in your life, it actually doesn't take your freedom away. It provides you more freedom because the more self-disciplined you are at doing the things you need to do, it provides you options in life. So just looking back on it, if you have the self-discipline as a younger person to study what you need to study, to work out when you need to work out, to have the self-discipline to engage in volunteer efforts to help others, when you do all of those things, you build networks, you build relationships, you build a stronger mind, a stronger body. And that actually provides you more options. So I really think self-discipline sets you free 
rather than causes you to be shackled or, or captured. And some people think that. Some th- people think if they engage in things that they have to do because people said that's the right thing to do, it kind of takes their freedom away. I think it's just the opposite. It provides you more freedom because you actually get more options put in your path. Well, it's your habits and your habits will determine everything. So if you have good habits, you have good results. There's still, I can remember growing up in the seventies and stuff where it was just an eighties, do whatever makes you feel good. And I'm thinking, yeah, but I need to stay out of jail. (laughs) I need to earn a living. I need to not get court-martialed. It's kind of strange. And then you look at it and go, but that's not what life is about. Life is not all about me and fulfilling my fleshly desires. Like you said, yes, you want to reward yourself, but we're more than animals just going off of impulses and urges. Exactly. I think thoughts are so important. And I think we're hardwired to get negative thoughts into our head. I think that's a natural thing because I think it's some type of protective impulse that we have just through evolution or or whatever. And it's really important when we have a negative thought coming into our head to do what we could do to replace it with a positive thought. And again, that comes into, and I think we're going to talk about vision in a minute, but it really comes into visualization of what you see your future looking like and what steps do you need to take in order to reach that ultimate goal or ultimate vision that you have. So I think there's so many elements of abandonment and what we just talked about. Well, that's truly self-discipline. My dad would always say there's miserable, miserable and happy, miserable. Everybody still has to fight the same battles. I don't like cold calls. I want to sleep in. I have this negative thoughts. We all deal with new common denominator success was premises. The only difference between a failure and a success is that a success is make a habit out of doing things that failures don't want to do. And I think there's this weird thing that you you just are born like, like the super disciplined person. It's like, no, it's part of our human nature. There's certain things we like and don't like to do. But the beauty of discipline is the longer you do it, the easier and more it becomes a part of you. And like negative thoughts. Nope capturing that one. I'm getting that out. And you talk about building things with discipline, networks, wealth, yes. health. Yes. Those things start, I learned to be a gym rat trying out to get into a military academy. Well, those are habits that I have done my whole life. Not that you can't. I have a sister who's 70 who just completely reclaimed her health at 70. But over a year, you can do it. But a lot of these things you start doing now and the dividends pay in the decades to come. I just came across a pretty good quote just the other day. I forget who said it, but the quote went something like this. If you really want to do something, you'll find a way. And if you don't want to do it, you're going to find an excuse. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's plenty of excuses that could go through our mind out. We've got to fend off those excuses and find a way to say yes to doing the right thing rather than let an excuse really control our mind, which ultimately controls our body. Well, you really hit on the thought thing, which is where it all starts, because otherwise we're operating from our emotion, which puts us on the level of the animals who have a central (laughs) nervous system and they have impulses. But what differentiates us is the frontal lobal cortex, the mind. And so we have a consciousness and we have ability to will and set goals and relate. And what you said, though, if you don't, I found that people, they're just like a live and let in a certain sense. I do agree with that. But I mean, if you're kind of just not bringing your best to every day, it takes work and discipline to find out, unpack who you really are. I'm still unpacking that. Every day I find another test and I'm like, so that's why I do the things I do. What I really want, 
not what my dad wanted, not what the military wanted. We had our identity in the military and now we're civilians. Who are we? What is our self-worth? Isn't based on what we do. And then once we know that, then we can figure out how to get it. But I find that that's such a, a long introspective, but wonderful process. Like you said, it's a hard process, but the more you put in the work up front, that's where you get the motivation and the self-discipline. But until you answer those questions, you don't really know what to be disciplined towards because you're just kind of, you're drifting or you're pretending and you haven't done the work to figure out, hey, I write my own orders now. And what orders am I going to write for John or Tracy? Yeah. You know, you brought up a good point earlier. It doesn't matter what age you are, whether you're 18 years old or 88 years old, you could get started at any time to get those correct thoughts into your head so you could move forward depending no matter where you are in life. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So thank you, John, for that. So we did loneliness, we did weariness, we did abandonment. And now we're going to talk about vision. And I think sometimes I, when I was in the military, I'm like, vision, just tell me what to do. (laughs) Just give me my orders. (laughs) But it's more strategic. And I never drew that. But my father was like, no, Tracy, vision is really just seeing what needs to be done and doing it. And I'm like, oh, okay, very practical. What does vision mean to you? And how, especially now, you talked a little bit about how you needed to find your purpose, but how do you hone in on that vision that keeps you moving forward? Just when I think back on my positions of leadership in the military, I've found that followers expect a leader to communicate that vision. And, you know, we talk about shared vision, right? When you're talking about an organizational vision, we, a lot of times we, we talk about it as a shared vision. And what that means to me is a leader in an organization really needs to go around and talk to the people within that organization and ask people, hey, where do you want to see this organization five years from now or 10 years from now? Or would make you proud about how this organization moves forward? I did that when I was a brigade commander, a brigade that I commanded previously to the one I took to combat. And I was really shocked. And I think this is interesting. Whether... I talked to privates that had six months in the army. I talked to majors who had, you know, 13, 14 years in the army and everybody in between. And I found that a lot of what they were saying about vision was very similar to one another. And I was really, really, really taken by that because I didn't think there would be such a commonality between visions of people of different experience levels. So I think creating a shared vision as a leader is important. And then again, my position in life now working as a leadership consultant, a trainer, a speaker, an author. Again, I don't have that team around me like we talked before. So that's where I think that purpose helped me create a vision. And really what vision comes down to, and I think your dad was exactly right. What picture do you see in your future that you actually want to attain? And then once you establish that vision for yourself, now you've got to put an action plan together in order to attain that, that vision. I, and I do think that positive energy has a lot to do with that. And when I talk about positive energy, I talk about leaders being, being optimistic. And when I talk about leaders being optimistic, I don't mean looking at life through rose colored glasses, but really just believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today. And then having an action plan to go along with that belief that tomorrow is going to be better than today. And whether that's self-belief or if you're leading an organization, you've got to get your followers to believe in the plan that you're outlined for them. So that's my thoughts on vision. Well, I appreciate that. And thank you for bearing with my coughing attack. I think I breathed in cat hair or something. 
<laughs> running That's around. Fine. Uh, but I love that you hit on two things. One, you have to communicate the vision. And you if the vision starts with you, but then as you said, because I studied followership, you have to ask the followers, like Jesus asked his disciples, what's the word on the street? Who do you say I am? Because no matter yeah. how much we think we've communicated it, if they're not coming with us or they haven't processed it the same way, and of course they were like, well, we think some think you're Elijah or John the Baptist. It's like, whoa, you know, where did that come from? And then it wasn't until they really dialed in. Jesus didn't change his vision, but he took the time to ask his followers because it is a dance. And the leader can't just be all vision because it, the followers, you can't drag them. And the followers, even if they're really robust and strong, they still have to know where they're going. And so I love that you really hit on both sides of that because that's really what vision is. It's a shared yeah. enterprise. Somebody has to set it. And then you got to make sure everybody is all in with the mission. Yeah. And you hit on a key point, you know, talk about communication. Communication, when it comes to leadership, is not just about speaking, it's about listening. And I think the listening has to come first. And it's so important for leaders to take the time to listen to their followers as they're trying to create this shared vision that then they communicate out to others. And then the other thing, I think President Reagan was fantastic with this. When a leader communicates vision, they have to be very, very consistent in that vision. It can't be the vision of the week or the vision of the quarter. You know, it's got to be the long-term vision for this organization. It's got to be consistently communicated. If you don't communicate it consistently, and if your vision doesn't stay consistent, people are going to become confused and they're going to start asking themselves, what's the real priority here? Yes. Hey, what direction are we really going? Last week, the leader said we had to go left. This week, the leader is saying we have to go right. Now I'm confused. Mm. So it's really important that that vision is a consistent vision. And I do think Reagan was a master at that. While he was president, I mean, his vision was the Soviet Union is not going to be here forever. The Soviet Union is going to collapse, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I mean, that was a consistent message that he put out there. And I think that's just a great example for leaders to follow. It is. That's why we did one of our little life-changing classics on him, because <laughs> just Ronald Wilson Reagan, it just, just absolutely brilliant. Well, I just really appreciate that. I needed to hear that, because if there's one thing I struggle with, it's that I could have a vision a minute. I mean, yeah. burp, burp, burp. and it's like, Tracy, stop, because it's exhausting. It confuses people. And it's the one thing I struggle with. So I really appreciate your words. And to our other listeners out there, take it from me. What do they say when you work your fingers to, your, to the bone? All you get is bony fingers. So we want to <laughs> stay very focused and not the fear of missing out or the bright, shiny thing like sometimes we entrepreneurs do. So I really appreciate that, John. So we talked about loneliness, weariness, abandonment, and vision. John, anything else? You've written a book called The Iron Sharpened Leadership. I'd like to talk about that. Anything else on leadership that you would just like to share with us? Well, I would just like to say Iron Sharpened Leadership, it's really based Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So that, that's the whole thought, at least what I get from that proverb, is we as people have to look for mentors in our life, people that we could look up to and learn from, and the learning never stops. And at the same time, we've got to reach our hand down to other people who maybe aren't as strong as we are, as talented as we are, and be mentors to them and help them along the way as well. So that, that's what Iron Sharpens Iron means to me. Now, my book, Iron Sharpen Leadership, is based on my leadership philosophy of character, competence, and resilience. And I'll just briefly explain each one of those elements. You know, when I talk about character, I'm talking about values, you know, understanding what your core values are and living by those values. I'm talking about cultivating trust. I'm talking about caring for your followers, caring for those you lead. 
when I talk about competence. I'm not talking about technical or tactical competence. I'm really talking about leader competence. And I break that down to the ability to communicate well, the ability to provide a vision and a purpose to an organization, and the ability to make decisions with less than perfect information. I think those are three important leader competencies. And then in terms of resilience, I'm talking about having positive energy. And I talked about it a little bit earlier, you know, but believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today and having an action plan go along with that. I'm talking about having the ability to move out of your comfort zone and, you know, taking chances and and taking some risk and surrounding yourself with people who aren't necessarily completely aligned with your way of thinking and doing that. So those are some of the things I talk about when I talk about character, competence, and resilience. And I think those are important aspects of being what I call an iron sharpened leader. Well, Proverbs, in my humble opinion, is the greatest leadership book of all time. (laughs) And there's 31 chapters because you can read a chapter. I mean, it'll tell you everything you need to know. And that is how it's done. That is how we become the next level version of ourselves, of our leadership selves. So also, I want you to talk to our listeners about The Ride of Our Lives, the first book you wrote. Yeah, The Ride of Our Lives. Back in 1983, I had left active duty in 83 for a short period of time. And uh, I left active duty up at Fort Lewis, Washington, Washington State, Tacoma, Seattle area. And uh, after working up there for a while, and my wife was a nurse, she was working too. We had a son, a 15-month-old son. And uh, we decided to move back to Northeastern Pennsylvania. And since we had to move from the West Coast back to the East Coast, I suggested to my wife that we bicycle across the United States. Because that, that had been a dream of mine for probably the previous eight years or so that I just really wanted to bicycle across the United States because of the challenge, because of the adventure to it. And so in 83, my wife and I bicycle across the country with our 15-month-old son, Steve. And I actually pull him across the United States in an orange bicycle trailer. Three months on on the road, on bicycles, all self-supported, which meant we had our own gear. We had a two-man backpacking tent, two sleeping bags, a little one-burner camping stove, 4,500 miles because with the circuitous route we took, it was 4,500 miles on that route. And it was quite an adventure. And really, it helped shape some of my leadership philosophy at that point, making a, a trip like that. And so I kept the journal through the course of that bicycle trip, and that journal sat in a shoebox for over 35 years. When I retired from the Army in 2019, I had a little bit of time on my hands, and I started to just take the journal that was sitting in that shoebox and put words on paper, really, because I wanted my children and my grandchildren to kind of have a record of that trip. And then as I began to write, I thought to myself, wow, this is actually pretty interesting. It'd probably be a book that other people would like to read. So published a book. It's called The Ride of Our Lives. And that book is about that three months, 4,500 mile adventure on our bicycles with our 15 month old son across the United States. So uh, I've been getting a lot of great reviews and comments from people who've read the book. It's, it's really a feel good story and a lot of leadership lessons in that story. As a matter of fact, the subtitle of The Ride of Our Lives is lessons on life, leadership, and love. And that's really what it took to be successful in that adventure of ours. Oh, I can't wait. And thank you for the copy of it. I look forward to reading it and we'll have our link there. And you guys are still married, right? Yeah, you know, (laughs) we're going to be married 43 years in September 2023. People say, you know, a trip like that is either going to destroy a marriage or strengthen the marriage. I guess in our case, it's strengthened the marriage. 
That's just fascinating. I can't wait to read it, John. I know I just had to put that in there because for all you've done with your 40 years in the military and your wisdom, I mean, that when you were that young to just take the time to do that. And I can remember growing up 70s. It just seemed like a lot of people, that was a goal to bicycle. My brother wanted to do it too. He never did. But I can remember it was just one of those things. Well, let's bike across America. And you did it. Yeah. And we didn't let our son stop us. Our son wasn't an obstacle. Our son was part of the adventure. Well, I can't wait to read it. And I can't wait to learn more, hear more, have our listeners connect with you. John, speaking of which, what is the best way? You're a speaker or do you consult? What kind of our audience should reach out to you? I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of speaking and leadership training for law enforcement by the way. Okay. I also do a lot of speaking at, at industry shows. I do a lot of speaking for large companies that are having conferences. And I do a lot of leadership training for companies as well. So from law enforcement to civilian companies across that whole gamut, I also still do a little bit of work with the military. I'm Association of the United States Army Leadership Fellow. So I do go out to military units and provide leadership presentations to military units. I do that pro bono for military units. And uh, so I do, I'm also an executive coach. I do have several clients that, uh, that I coach in terms of helping them continue on their leadership journey. So that's what I do. I love doing it. I'm so passionate about it. I feel very fulfilled when I have those opportunities to speak to the groups that I mentioned. John, well, thank you so much. And thank you for fulfilling us, sharing your wisdom. And to our listeners out there, you make sure you connect with John. I'll put the links to his books. And John, just thank you so much for taking the time to share your decades of experience and just what's next for you and how you're continuing to take all of that and pour into others. It's so tremendous. Well, Tracy, I really appreciate you taking the time to interview me. I very much enjoy the leadership messages that you put out. Thank you for doing that. I'm inspired by your messages. And I want to thank you for allowing me to be a guest on your show today. So thank you. Well, you couldn't be any more welcome. And to our listeners out there, thank you. The channel is growing and flowing, and we just love having you here. If you like what you heard, please be sure and hit the subscribe button. If you would do us the honor of a review, that would be so tremendous. And also, please share this with other people. You heard where John speaks and talks, people that you think might be interested and need to hear this, people that are out there paying the price of leadership. And always remember, as my father said, you're going to be the same person five years from now that you are today, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. So make them both tremendous. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a tremendous rest of your day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.